Welcome to VLGA Connect. My name is Catherine Arndt and I'm the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. I hope you enjoy today's Connect episode brought to you by the VLGA, the national broadcaster on all things local government. everyone. Welcome to the weekly governance update from VLGA Connect, brought to you by Hunt and Hunt Lawyers. And joining me as always, the Chief of Staff of the VLGA to dissect the week's local government news with a fine something, something. Stephen Cooper. Hello, Hello, Chris. And I'm glad we're not trisecting and I'm not sure what into four would be, what sort of secting that would be. Have you got your scalpel ready? Oh, let's go. <laughs> let's go. All right. Easter. How was Easter for you? Um, Easter was lovely. And I would have thought most people in Victoria would have found that Good Friday, Easter Saturday and Sunday were beautiful. And we might have all got a bit wet on Monday. Yes, true. And I, there's a couple of Easter things we want to talk about in just a moment. But before I do, and before we forget, last week, uh, I lamented somewhat jokingly that uh, the minister had a habit of putting out significant news just after we'd put the governance update to bed. Um, and Steve, he reached out to you on Twitter, uh, on Twitter to dispel that vicious rumour. Well, I'm not sure he dispelled it, Chris. But, and the other thing is, I'm not sure you were jokingly. I think you take <laughs> us much more seriously than that. But the minister, um, his tweet basically said, yes, he admitted that the timing of government announcements was based, you know, intentionally just after we record, Chris. <laughs> no, he did not say that, Stephen. Well, he, he said, said something like that, but then he had a rolling around the floor laughing emoji. <laughs> he did. He said, can confirm, Stephen, there's no coincidence regarding the timing of announcements being about half an hour after you've finished filming your show. <laughs> laughing face. Laughing emoji. <laughs> so um, yeah, I've just got that. No coincidence means he's saying it's, that's true. Absolutely. I thought oh, I had him for a moment there until I got to the fourth line. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, you said straight to the pool room. I think that was a nice little exchange, Steve. So, well I don't think I can top that, Chris. All right. So let's talk about uh, a couple of Easter-related things. I know you want to send out uh, some good wishes to the folks at Northern Grampians because another very successful stall gift campaign this year. And I know the council and councillors and local tourism agencies and community groups have been actively promoting the stall gift. And um, yeah, I think props to uh, to Mayor Tony Driscoll and to the CEO, Leanna Thompson, to the Shire staff and the stall communities on a, another terrific event. And Chris, there was a local government flavour in the results. There was. This sort of came out a day or two after, didn't it? The uh, the winner of the store gift is one of our own, Steve. Well, I think Andrew Day at the CEO at Manningham couldn't contain himself and needed to make a little tweet about that, and I don't blame him. And I should say the male winner, because, of course, there's uh, there's two winners. Exactly, which are on a equal pedestal, if you like, Chris. But, yeah, so Andrew announced on, on LinkedIn, I saw that, Harrison Kerr is an, in the engineering team at Manningham Council. So congratulations to um, Harrison and um, and by default to his colleagues at Manningham Council. 
Fantastic. Of course, there's, um, there's a great story about a planning officer at one of the other councils that has gone on to be an international cycling commentator. I'm talking about Matthew Keenan. Steve, are you aware of that story? No, so, you I know, didn't know that. It's, it's not unheard of. I think he was in planning. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. It's not unheard of for someone to use their local government uh, career as a, a stepping up into international fame. Can we and put it? I'm drawing so. a long bow, but there you go. <laughs> Rightly so. So what else happened at Easter? Well, the other big thing that uh, I was keeping an eye on, and there was, a, there was a great website to be able to track the, the Mayor of Mornington Peninsula, Anthony Marsh, as he paddled around Port Phillip and Western Port Bay for charity over Easter. I thought this was just a great initiative to do. He, he said to me, Steve, mayoral balls aren't his thing. Uh, but perhaps an Easter paddle uh, is. And he raised $35,000 for the local SES and Coast Guard through that effort. So kudos. Well done. And the website was terrific. You could see the, the route and you could see um, where the mayor was at any particular time. It was terrific. The good thing I liked about it, Chris, and this is probably a bit of personal bias on my part, is I think we have to be careful about those kind of mayoral events, not the paddle but the uh the balls and so on that sometimes there is a cost to the community in running them and maybe um, what purportedly goes to charities um mightn't all get there so you know transparency over those things but i thought props to anthony marsh as well absolutely well done uh, anthony what a great initiative now uh let's get a bit more serious the west wimmera shire is in the news just in the past 24 hours or so steve and i did hear the interview that the Mayor of West Wimmera gave to the ABC this morning as we record this. And the issue that's sort of under the microscope here is the Council's decision to not fly the rainbow flag on Ida Hobbit Day. But it's actually going a bit deeper than that, isn't it? Well, I think it went deeper, Chris. Um, and we'll try to keep a governance lens on this. Um, it went deeper, I think, because of the explanation that was given uh, or the explanations that were given for um, that decision, which really deserve a bit of unpacking, I would say, lest anyone be misled. So the the mayor, Bruce um, Meir, I think it said, um, was on ABC Radio to explain the council's decision. It's a majority decision, but some of the comments that he made have come under fire, Steve. So yes, Chris, um, the mayor commented that there would be a consequence of making this decision that would cause other other requests that seemed a bit outlandish to flow to the council eventually as well. Yes, um, the word pedophilia was used. Uh, the, the, the issue of allowing 12-year-old girls to marry was used. I thought that's where it jumped the shark a bit, to be frank. Uh, just a bit, just yeah. a bit, Chris. Let's be clear. The decision in front of the council was whether to fly a flag and let's True. end on that. The other part I thought was interesting was that the, um, the mayor... Um, gave the sense that um, this was a small group who were agitating and didn't reflect the views of the community. Now, there are small groups that agitate over a whole lot of things, but they can't be discounted on that basis that the Act actually requires in the role of the council to govern for the whole municipality. So there's an element of, you know, just making sure that we listen um, when groups are making particular requests. Mm. So, Steve, um, let's not also lose sight of the fact that councils have autonomy to make the decisions that they think are the best decisions for their community. You've got a council here, a small council, 3,800 residents, I think. You've got five elected councillors having to make these decisions. And we never want to detract from 
the autonomy they have to make those decisions. Ab absolutely, Chris. And I think that goes to the framing because, um, again, in the interview, the mayor commented that this was a moral issue and not the business of local government. And therefore, the council had no business in involving itself in a moral issue. And I think um, at the heart of my view on this, um, that is the point with which I would take most issue that, um, in fact, there's a few areas uh, in the Local Government Act and in other acts that point to the fact that the council has every right um, to involve itself in this issue. Um, going right back to the governance and integrity, integrity regulations that require councillors to receive an induction on giving effect to gender equality, diversity and inclusiveness. So there's a really strong signal there that the council has a role. Um, the other part, I would say, Chris, is that councils are required to prepare a municipal public health and wellbeing plan. And um, I think the other councillor um, who was in favour of the flying flag made the point that, uh, you know, youth suicide amongst the LGBT plus cohort is an extraordinarily serious problem. And I think for any council who has prepared a municipal public health plan, a public health and wellbeing plan that has not um, given some consideration to the harms to uh, particularly young people in the LGBT plus community, then you'd possibly want to go back and have a look at your plan. Good point and well made, Steve. For me, this this brings up a bit of that old roads, rates and rubbish argument. And, uh, you know, these days councils do and are involved in so much more. In fact, VLGAC, uh, Catherine Arndt, did a very good opinion piece very recently on that very topic. Times have changed, and um, I think the reaction to this is showing us that people expect councils to be involved in these issues. Uh, that's true, Chris, and we know that the rural councils do a lot with not much. Yeah. Um, and again, you, I think returning to the point that you made earlier, ultimately the council has a role in making a decision, and sometimes... Um, sometimes the council might need to say no. Sometimes it will be a leader and perhaps go to places that the community is not quite ready for. But I think um, to sort of be commenting that we've got, you know, effective in an LGBT plus community um, living quite peacefully and in harmony without actually going out and asking those people if that's their view um, is a bit harmful. And the other thing I think, Chris, is it's not just around sort of saying, oh, well, there's been a pile on, we'll fly the flag. We need to make decisions for the right reasons. And that, that is where the framing of the decision becomes really important because um, it's vital that we don't do harm to people on really sensitive issues like this. As you say, it's not whether to address the issue, it's how you manage it. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, which I thought was a good point. All right, look, there's, there's lots out there. There's more every minute, actually, when I look. If you look at Twitter, um, Facebook, etc., cetera, uh, ABC reporting, reaction coming from rainbow local government etc um this one might go on for a couple of days at least i would think i would say so all right uh thanks steve let us and we'll put a link to the interview in uh in the show notes if anyone wants to dig a little deeper into that issue um another report came out this week from the integrity and oversight committee steve which might around the edges have some implications for local government I would say so, Chris. This is a state um, state parliamentary um, committee that was looking at sort of the education functions of integrity agencies generally. Uh, the VLGA did make a submission, and it was pleasing to receive to see a number of 
references to the VLGA submission in the um, uh, in the footnotes to each of the recommendations. But fundamentally, uh, the recommendations were around good practice in terms of um, accessibility of reports, um, so people know what the process is. Capturing data um, to ensure that the various cohorts that are making complaints, and there were specific references to IBAC and the police, so that we know who's who's making complaints and who's not. And um, yeah, some good practice around publication. That's my sort of cutback version, but it is worthwhile, uh, I think, for you know compliance people in councils to have a look at this report. Some of this also links into the issue we were just talking about with West Rimmershire in a way, doesn't it? Oh, look, it does because I mean. Um, there were quite specific references to the uh, LGBT plus community and mm. uh, capturing data and ensuring that um, the human rights of a substantial cohort of people in the community are not being affected because there are barriers to, uh, to accessibility. All right. So um, I'll pop the link to that report in the show notes if anyone wants to have a look at that. As I said, there's not a lot about local government, in it, but some recommendations around IBAC and the Ombudsman that might have some um, implications. Yeah, I think it's about making the link and sort of drawing the inference about where the, you know, where the similarities lie, Chris. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, on a legislative bent, this one's out of New South Wales, and I wondered about anything that might correlate in Victoria with this, uh, Steve. Um, New South Wales councils have been told to be uh, careful about uh, 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 meeting their obligations, what I'm trying to say, with the Modern Slavery Act that's come in in, uh, in that state. Um, I don't think we've got a corresponding act here at this point, do we? I'm not aware that we do, Chris, but I think, again, it's an issue that is worth looking at sort of from an ethical lens, mm. um, you know, in management of all of our assets, in in the operation of processes that we should be looking end to end. And, you know, we know in procurement that uh, ethical procurement doesn't start at the point where we make the purchasing decision. It starts with doing due diligence around how the... Um, whatever the product is, what's, was produced, what's the environmental impact, um, what's the social impact um, in terms of who we're buying from. So, you know, we already, when we're in procurement processes, Chris, make sure that we um, check the OCH health and safety standards of our suppliers, because it would be easy for someone to shortcut there and, you know, come up with a cheaper price. And I think, so New South Wales have got a new piece of legislation that says, if you are making um, purchasing decisions, do some due diligence and show us how you're doing due diligence to ensure that what's called modern slavery or basically wage theft hasn't contributed to a cheaper price. All right. So um, look out for that one, because once it happens uh, in one place, it often follows on eventually in others if it's, uh, if it's a good idea. And I can't see why that wouldn't be one that might flow through. I would have thought so, Chris. I think, you know, socially, uh, and it's important for us, you know, to be ethical organisations. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this program talking about the election campaign. There's plenty of material out there from from other sources. But uh, I know you, you are taking an interest in the way election signage is being dealt with from a, from a council perspective. And um, there's a bit going on in Brisbane, I hear. Oh, is there ever? So a candidate actually tweeted on... Uh, uh, tweeted on Twitter, would you believe, Chris? Who would have thought uh, mm. that the council had served notice on that particular councillor that his sign wasn't compliant because it's more than 28 days out from the election and uh, he needed to take it down. And he has embarked on a campaign of civil disobedience. Right. 
which took me to the, um, what would I call it, the local law. So, Chris, there's a, a, a device called the Advertising Devices Design and Assessment Rule, hmm. which is a subsidiary document to the local law that um, for Brisbane City Council, Council, which lays out some extraordinary requirements for um, election signs in residential areas, including that the number of signs uh, for the various sorts of elections won't include won't exceed a particular number in each case. Right. And um, I was actually speculating as to how the council staff were going to run around the run around the um, the municipality counting the signs to uh, keep them under under the limit. Not- so, for for example, a Commonwealth a federal election candidate can have no more than 150 signs in the electorate. Exactly. But a mayoral candidate, remembering that Brisbane City covers multiple electorates, a mayoral candidate may have 500 signs. Oh. Oh, and how would you ever know? (laughs) Well, yeah, you're right. Um, So depending on how many candidates are, the number of candidates times 150 is a pretty big number. I think I see the point you're making. And look, the Bris- again, I'm reluctant to criticise. The Brisbane City Council may have had a terrific reason for embarking on such a detailed um, local law, but um, it's not great to have a local law that encourages very public civil disobedience. And I'm not sure that we haven't, um, what's the saying, Chris? Cracked a walnut by dropping an anvil on it. Yeah. And look, it's also not great for the approaches from one electorate to the next or one council to the next to be... Uh, to be different for people to understand what is the right thing to do. I did note in this material that you uh, that, that you uh, dug out uh, for a private property election sign, the location has to be registered with the council before the sign is put up. Does that apply here? Not in Victoria. No, I, I wouldn't have no. thought so. Um, no. it, it seems rather bureaucratic and prescriptive doesn't there it? might be an opportunity for red tape reduction chris yes there might and harmonization steve oh which is actually one of the features of having the control under the uh, the state planning instruments as andrew gunter from hunt and hunt so lucidly explained a few weeks ago all right i'm not going to dig all that stuff out and read it but uh if you've got some links steve i'll be happy to put them in the show notes for those of us uh for those who are watching or listening that would like to go down those rabbit holes they're winging their way to you chris (laughs) excellent now we've got uh some classified notices before we uh before we finish Uh, three ceo appointments in victoria happened on uh, the cusp of easter steve you might have seen these so i want to send out some our our customary congratulations on ceo appointments Uh, tammy smith who's been acting for a while at yarry ambiac uh, now has been confirmed in the role replacing of course jesse holmes who's moved off to a state role so well done to tammy yeah, and all I heard uh, on that one, Chris, was that it was a unanimous decision. The council's really happy with the appointment it's made. And, um, yeah, so good luck to Tammy. And I think I read they had 28 applications, which I thought was a good number for a, for a small shire like that. That's terrific. Beautiful spot, Warwick Nabil, too, I should actually say, Chris. Yeah. But, yeah, great, um, great news for Tammy and for the council. All the best to, uh, to Tammy. Now up to Mildura, where again, uh, the acting Martin Horson, who's been at the council for uh, around 20 years, uh, local boy, uh, now confirmed in the role and the first locally born and raised CEO for over 20 years at Mildura. So congratulations to Martin. Yeah, Martin, former the oh, was formerly the Director of Community Services or words to that effect and a very decent fellow having met Martin. So uh, yeah, good luck to him. 
And someone I don't know has got the gig at Swan Hill Rural City Council. I'm not sure if you know Scott Barber, do you, Steve? No, I don't know Scott Barber. I know Swan Hill quite well, Chris, but um, no. I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> so uh, Scott apparently used to work for Gold Murray Water, was at Murrayshire Council. He's coming from Wagga Wagga City Council to take up the role as CEO at Swan Hill in uh, the next month or so. So well done, Scott. Good stuff. There's four left on the list, Steve. Uh, not counting any that might pop up between the time these get resolved. Uh, and they are Darabin Wodonga, uh, Moyne, and there's one more. But you have uh, reminded me, we do know, as at the time of um, recording this show, that the monitors for Darabin, for Moira and for Wodonga have not yet been announced. We expect they'll be announced within about half an hour of us pressing stop oh, on you the know, record. You know what the minister's like, Chris? <laughs> the, the other one's uh, Alpine. Uh, Steve, it's of just course. come to me. You, get, yes. you gave me a moment to reflect, and there it is. Uh, and, and look, we need to finish off on a on a sad note. I was stunned to read on LinkedIn this week about the passing of Terry Bramham from uh, Macquarie Lawyers, who's a, such a well-known name around local government. Many a time I've sat in a room with Terry imparting his uh, excellent advice about meeting procedure, local government law, etc. Um, he's uh, passed away after an illness and the sector is all the worse off for, uh, for losing him. Chris, I don't think outpouring of grief does justice to the loss of Terry. Um, very fondly thought of as a human being and a, a very good lawyer. And I always thought, Chris, that one of the, <laughs> I don't know if it's a dubious joy, but one of the roles that governance managers and coordinators get cast with at times is someone wandering into your office and saying, I've got this issue, which lawyer should I use? And the thing with Terry was that if the issue involved, you know, managing a difficult situation or um, someone where something where someone was going to be unhappy with the result, but happy about the process, Terry was the guy that you would think of. Um, can I just a couple of things I'll add to that, Chris? Um, and again, it's not for me to provide chapter and verse Terry's life, but I do know a, a couple of things that I'm aware of that I think are, are worth saying. And in fact, Reese Thomas, um, who listens, um, posted on Twitter that he got to walk with Terry around the Ray Bramham Gardens, a lovely garden in St George's Road in Preston. Um, and Ray Bramham was Terry's father, a long-serving city engineer at Preston. So Terry really did grow up with local government in his veins and understood um, the business. Um, I first met Terry when he was with Home Wilkinson Lowry, which I'll come back to in a moment. Mm. Um, probably in the late 1980s, I would say, Chris, they were in the Rue House. Um, and in the mid 90s, Terry took a bit of a sabbatical from being a lawyer. And I recall meeting him, he'd hired a little, a little serviced office in East Kew. He was driving around and it might have been his wife's um, red Ford laser. It wasn't the accoutrements of a lawyer. And we talked about change and the fact that he was having a think about what he wanted to do next and that maybe partnership in a big law firm wasn't for him. Now, Home Wilkinson Lowry became the HWL in HWL Ebsworth, a very big law firm. And they had a, Home Wilkinson Lowry had a good local government practice. So Terry spending that bit of time thinking is what became Macquarie lawyers and strategists or now Macquarie local government lawyers. And it was always his intention to service local government, but to do it in a way that was more than um, just the legal part that, you know, the people. And as you said, there's been um, a tremendous outpouring from people who knew 
uh, knew Terry really well and the contribution that he made. So I just think, um, you know, condolences to all of Terry's family, to, to Georgie, to Peter Lucas, who's worked with Terry for a long time, to Ian Robb and the team at Macquarie. Um, our deepest sympathies and Vale Terry. Can't say uh, any more than that, Steve. Vale Terry. Um, and you mentioned Peter Lucas there. Here's another one I had on speed dial for, for a number of years. <laughs> Always very accessible, the both of them, actually. Mm. So uh, on that sad note, uh, we'll wrap up the governance update for another week. Uh, Minister, you can press send on that announcement about the monitors if it's ready to go. We're only joking, I think. Um, and uh, we'll be back with another governance update next week. Thanks, Steve. Cheers, Chris. And thanks to Hunt and Hunt Lawyers for being our sponsors here on the governance update from VLGA Connect. Mm -hmm.